Welcome to the Optimal Mindset. I'm your host, Johnny Taylor. I started this show because I am fascinated by human capabilities and performance. Why is it that certain people reach their potential and how does their mindset help them to succeed? I want to understand what are the tools, tactics and strategies high achievers use to optimize their mind and achieve greatness. In these episodes, we'll be speaking to some of my personal idols from sports and performance to discover the definition of an optimal mindset and how we can train our own minds to achieve our biggest dreams. Please follow the show on Instagram and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so we can share out the inspiring messages within each episode with a wider audience. Remember, train your mind, optimize your life. Right, welcome to the show. My guest today is Dr. Cassidy Preston. Thanks for joining us today. We really do appreciate it. Awesome. My pleasure, Johnny. So Cassidy is a former minor league hockey player. After his playing career, he went on to study a PhD in sports psychology. He is the founder of CEP Mindset, which aims at helping athletes to develop practical strategies for elite performance in all areas of life. He is an expert in the field of mental performance coaching and sports psychology, and he's going to be a fantastic guest today. So could you give us a bit of background about your role and uh, how you got into mental performance coaching? Yeah, I uh, came about it very honestly uh, through my own playing career in hockey. Uh, specifically, once I made the jump to junior hockey, I was fortunate enough to get drafted, play at some higher levels. The game changed and not particularly on the ice, but between the six inches in my ears where I had all this noise and the weight and my confidence. And I was, it was a lot less consistent at being dialed in and just enjoying the game. I was particularly consumed with all the results, the shiny objects, the praise, the accolades, getting to the next levels, the unhealthy comparison started. And so I kind of got uh, driven uh, from this own personal struggle uh, to figure out like, how do I get dialed in? How do I master the mental game? How can I crack the code? I'm like, what does it take to just be at my best or be dialed in day in, day out? And obviously it's not about perfecting and being becoming perfect, but a lot more consistent than what I was doing through my career. And so that was then like a 10 year uh, process through junior and a little bit of pro and, and university level, college level hockey. And then I was like, okay, well, let's go to school and really get into this from an academic standpoint. The literature uh, looked at lots of other professionals in the field, um, like Dr. John Demartini, Todd Herman, to really help and figure out strategies that worked. Read lots of books and then tweaked, innovated, progressive, because a lot of the strategies out there, they're not personalized, they're not as practical. You know, you can actually create too much noise in your head. And so we wanted to simplify it, yet be very impactful, uh, quick, long term results. And obviously, the athletes have to do the work, but that's uh, was kind of a long journey, like twenty years to really, you know, figure it out and and come up with a system that works. And now that's what I get to do with pro athletes, you know, executives, you know, athletes climbing the ranks. And we've uh, got a team of like twelve, you know, mental performance coaches, um, you know, really helping athletes day in day out uh, work on their mental game, uh, make that the mindset from being results consumed to mindset first, which uh, I'm sure we'll talk about today. So yeah, that's the short story was a little bit long, but a little bit short. (laughs) No, I love that. And I, and I totally agree. I think often we focus on the external and we focus, you know, with, with things that are out of our control, such as like winning or like you said, you know, the shiny accolades, but I'm interested in when your journey as a player, did you have the, do you feel that you had enough guidance in terms of mental skills coaching? Um, so 
Yes and no. So yes, in the sense of I worked with a sports psychologist once I hit junior hockey uh, for a year and she was really good and really opened my eyes to the mental game. Um, definitely helpful and gave me some skills and strategies to start using. And and I read lots of other books um, that were also helpful. And and I was even leaning on some other people. My dad, you know, was helpful, supportive enough, but definitely no expert by any means. And um, but I think there's a difference between getting the guidance and the help and having a fully personalized system. And so I definitely didn't have that. And um, uh, and and didn't really till maybe the end of my career. I got kind of close to like, all right, now I know like I had some strategies that just consistently worked for me. Um, but even then, like, no, I definitely, and that, and there were some tough years and just navigating the climb through the ranks, especially in the world of hockey, but in anything like the, the politics and the dealing with that and the managing of expectations. Um, like, you know, I definitely didn't have, uh, didn't de- definitely didn't do that well. And I would have the burden of all this expectations and results oriented. Like one of the things I like to say about sports psychology is people often, you know, their first thing is like, well, what's a good, you know, strategy thing to do with sports? Well, let's do goal setting. And it's like, and often that's just making things worse for the average high performer because it's just consuming them more with the results and they need to learn to detach from that and immerse in the process. And so you can do goal setting around process goals and those things, which are definitely helpful. Um, and we do that in different ways. We call it personal scorecard, but more so, you know, I was just consumed with the results. And so, then that like it's like okay try to do all this but i'm still just driven by the results and that's uh that's going to eat at you and weigh on you and um and stress you out along the way so yeah so yes and no in a way <laughs> yeah i mean i totally agree with you there i think i think what you said about this idea that yeah we obviously are heading towards a goal but detaching from the outcome is something that's probably quite tricky to do as well and something that definitely takes a lot of practice so you talk about mental toughness, and I, and I read one of your quotes, and I actually really like this, um, about mental toughness as the key to unlocking your potential. What, mm-hmm. did, what does that mean to you? Can you kind of elaborate on that? Yeah, well, I would say, um, you know, even we like to use the words even like uh, owning your or, or performing at your capabilities, because potential can be a kind of a, you know, pretty like, oh, what does that even mean? But it's like, what are you actually capable of doing your physical capabilities? And what I often even call like the great separator is, you know, prioritizing your mindset, focusing on your mind, your mental game, because at the highest levels, everyone's strong, fast and skilled, but the ability to show up day in, day out and be dialed in and perform at your capabilities or your potential is about your mindset, your resiliency, your confidence, your mental toughness. And so a good way to then look at this i use a lot as a car driver analogy so if you think of your capabilities and your physical fitness and strength and speed as an athlete as the f1 race car strong fast skilled you know really good car everyone's got a good car do you have a good driver though that's calm confident you know in the moment present and what's the point of having a great car and getting the most out of your capabilities and most of your car if you've got a scared nervous you know hesitating distracted driver and so when working on the mental game, we're not working on the car. We help you get the most out of your car by working on the driver. And so it's a nice, helpful analogy uh, to kind of think about, you know, the great separator, the ability to like, what's, what's the difference from the average, you know, elite athletes and the super great, 
these guys are dialed in day in, day out. They show up. They don't have little hiccups of distraction, et cetera. And some of them don't even have the best cars. Obviously, some of the best athletes definitely have the best cars and a really good driver. But the uh, premise to kind of reflect on it sometimes is like, if you got a pretty good car, but a really good driver, you can beat somebody with a great car, but poor driver. And so um, it's certainly, you can't get to the realm of winning day in, day out, you know, winning year over year if you don't have the driver figured out like anybody can you know have an off you know the stars line up and things go well their day but can you do that day in day out well that's where you need a game plan mental game plan where it's reliable a repeatable process for you that does to get tweaked and refined and updated over time but a good way to look at it is um yeah seeing it as the great separator making that jump and that leap and what i'll often refer to now as the realm of the super elite where they prioritize their mindset for the sake of itself so yeah i don't know if that answers your question but that's a a good way to look at it yeah and i love that analogy i've never really heard that before but that's that's a that's a really clever analogy of of, of thinking of uh, the athlete like a car and having the two different parts that's, that's awesome so if you were working, and I'm sure this is something that comes up with your athlete, maybe in uh, someone struggling with a bit of confidence, what kind of would you be the advice that you would dive into and what might be some of the strategies that you would help them with? Yeah, great question. I think it's probably one of, if not the most common reason somebody starts to work on their mindset, their mental game. They're tired of struggling with confidence. They feel like they have confidence problems. I always like to frame it. It's like, okay, well, here's a two-step way to never have a confidence problem again. The first step is, which everybody wants, because a lot of people identify having confidence problems. Nobody wants to struggle with confidence. So the first step in the solution to stop having confidence issues is to um, be mindful of the narrative. And so particularly, uh, as soon as someone identifies as having a confidence problem, well, not, like that's really hard to now work on. <laughs> it's like, how do we work on It's like, who says you have a confidence problem? Can you show it to me? Like, where is it? Like, it's, it definitely is a real thing in that we feel, you know, uh, doubt in our capabilities, et cetera. But when you perpetuate that narrative, it becomes a problem. And so instead it's like, what we want to shift to, which leads to the second solution is actually don't even use the word confidence because it makes a, a lot of problems and instead use the word capabilities. So you're having a problem owning your capabilities because that's what true confidence is about. Our society has misunderstood and construed and tied people's confidence to external things, to the praise, validation, the results. And that's not what confidence doesn't need to be tied to that. What it should be tied to is what you're capable. If you've got a great car, you got a great car. Like just because um, you know, you ran over a nail and you got a flat tire doesn't mean your car's shit, just means you gotta fix the tires. Like just because you didn't come in first doesn't mean your car can't go fast or you like you know, so there's adaption, you know, things to be adapted and learn and evolve, but your car is your car. The work you put in is the work you are. This is what you're capable. So then the question becomes, are you owning your capabilities? And if you merge those two things down together, like instead of identifying, I'm having a confidence problem or I have a confidence problem is like, Hey, right now I'm struggling to own my capabilities. Well, that's a lot easier to work on. <laughs> it's like, Oh, okay. Well, why can I like, do I need to not own my capabilities? How can I own them and uh, and do that? And then there's there's some strategies around that, you know, a couple of which is around commitment and uh, the alter ego. Uh, and from a commitment standpoint, it's just committing to how you want to play, committing to you know executing your game plan or what you're capable. 
uh, as well as accepting and letting go. The acceptance commitment is always the nice one-two punch. And so it's accepting you've made mistakes or accepting you're human, you're not perfect, but you're committed and you know what you're capable and you're committed to owning all of that. And one of the ways we like to uh, bring that to life is uh, an alter ego strategy, which comes from Todd Herman's work. The uh, um, uh, He wrote the book, The Alter Ego Effect. And you know he created like the Black Mamba with Kobe. Like that's... That's pretty famous. That's pretty legendary. It's a powerful thing to be like, okay, well, what am I committing to? How do I want to show up and play? And that now you're creating the narrative, right? It goes back to like, well, if you're the narrative is I'm someone that struggles with confidence. And then as soon as adversity hits, you're screwed. But if the narrative is yeah. I'm the black mamba, like I go out there and attack and I, you know, I'm a momentum builder and don't get derailed by these things. That's now uh, a strategy that works uh, very well. And Another way that we look at it, sometimes we'll get them to break it down. It's like, okay, well, let's break down. What are you actually capable? Because sometimes it's like, oh, I'm struggling with my confidence because I don't know if I can do this heart surgery. Yeah, because I haven't gone to <laughs> med school and learned how to become a heart surgeon. So I should have a lot of doubt around doing heart surgery. Don't let me do it. But if you're actually capable and you put in the work and in practice settings, you can, you know, like I'll use a golfer one, like their wedge play. They can stick it within a certain percentage, you know, pretty consistent. Like that's what you're capable of. And to not own that and to then start to like doubt your capability when you're 100 yards out, it's like, no, you know what your capability is there because you've gone and done the work and you keep doing the work. And so we're not making this up. And so we try to treat it more as a fact. So those are a couple of ways to look at it. I can go a little deeper uh, if needed. But uh, yeah, that's uh, it's a great question because it's one of the most common ones. And, and our society has definitely tainted the word confidence. And then we identify with it and it creates this pretty negative cyclical thing that people have a hard time getting out of um, without a shift in, in frame. Mm, I love the idea of the, the alter ego. I don't know if you've read um, like the books by David Goggins, who's like the ultra kind of the mm-hmm. ultra marathoner and like the elite. And he often talks about like going into like Goggins mode. Is that kind of the mm-hmm. same thing as Kobe 100%. going into the Black Mamba yeah. mode? Yeah, it's just a mentality. It's a narrative. It's a identity kind of based thing. One of the things that's funny, people misunderstand about alter egos or identity things. And even when I first saw the name as like alter ego, like, oh, that's weird. It's like, oh, well, does that mean I have like multiple selves? And it's like, well, I'm not being true to me. And it's like, no, no, it's not about becoming something you're not. It's just what traits are you using? And where's a narrative and identity we can play with? in that field of play because how I show up as an athlete might be different than how I show up in a social setting than in school and, or in a work setting. It's different. We don't show up the same in every area of our life. We pull out different traits and what traits are going to serve you the most. And these moments of impact are in this area of field. So, and there's actually the whole psychological uh, field has actually came out and it's like multiple selves is a very healthy thing. People that have like, oh, I only have one identity. Like, it's like it's actually a, a flawed thing. It's like having different identities for different areas of your life and ways of showing up is proven to be um, uh, healthy for your mental health and well-being, etc. So, um, it, it's it's just an exercise and it plays on our imagination and creativity and uh, a narrative-based work, which is about awareness and choice of like, who am I? And a good you know framework for that is. Um, a lot of times people think they are what they do or achieve. They are just the character in the story. When the reality is, I want you to flip the frames. Like you're more than just that. You are that and you get to create how you are in different parts of the story. 
but you're the damn author and narrator of your life. You're the, like, you get to write the story and you get to narrate the facts. You can't change the facts, but you can narrate, you know, in between the facts and how you interpret them. And when you look at it that way, that's powerful. That's the, the, the point of an alter ego. And again, it goes back to the, well, I struggle with confidence. I always beat myself up. Says who? Like, and how is that serving you? And does that always have to be the case? And maybe you have done a lot of that lately or in the past, <laughs> but that doesn't mean that's what you are. And as soon as you identify, like we're, that's a foundational belief that no matter what we talk about and work on now, it's going to hold you back. And so, and yet that's so common. It's like, well, I'm just somebody that always does this. As soon as I hear someone say that, I'm like, okay, <laughs> like, we're like, well, let's go deal with that. Cause that is a problem. Like that's a, that's going to be hard to get you to where you want to go if you're holding on to that narrative. And so we want to attack that, you know, take a critical look at it. Um, if you want to hold on to it, sure. Great. But like, it's, it's going to keep, um, it's, it's probably not going to serve you. That's your choice, your life. So, um, yeah, that's a fun, fun conversation stuff is, is the alter ego for sure. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's super powerful. That's, that's actually incredible, this idea of, of having an alter ego. But I do, I do have a, a question to follow up on that. And that is, if someone has, for example, said that they're low in confidence in a certain area, but they've said that repeatedly for a long period of time, like let's say that that's always been their mindset, that's always been the way that they frame things. Do you think that person would then find it difficult to change if that's something that they've done over 20 years of their life? Surprisingly, it doesn't have to be that difficult. Um, it can be. Uh, it's not like, um, it's like, yeah, 10 seconds or 10 minutes and it's it's gone and now you're you're good to go forever. Like, that's not necessarily the case. I think instead, I would look at it um, along the lines of uh, it can be difficult, uh, particularly if you're not open to trying it. If you're like, no, I don't want to be coached. I'm right. I know what I believe, like my way of thinking. So if you're not open to even trying, like that's the first, that's the biggest barrier is to be like, hey, can someone help me see my blind spots? Because when you say something out loud or into your own head, I've got a confidence problem. You're like, it's almost like subconscious. You're not even aware of the line of thinking that you're using. And so when we feel like, hey, well, I want someone to help guide me to get results quicker, more effectively. And then, you, and then you start saying things and we probe and then eventually the subconscious comes out and then it's like, oh, like, did you realize you just said it this way? You're like, and you realize what that means? It's like, oh, shit. <laughs> so like, it's like, it's like awareness and realization and opportunity to grow moment. And, and, then, and then again, like uh, creating an alter ego, it's not like it's the easiest thing that's like, yeah, just bam, it's done in 10 minutes, but it doesn't have to take that long. And usually the first one isn't always the one that's going to like you, they're going to iterate it. And then as you're doing it, like we can see pretty big shifts pretty quickly. And, but then again, do you sustain it? And do you keep doing the work? Do you adapt it? Do you grow it? Um, or do you slide back into old habits? And so there's a new rewiring process or reorienting the narrative. And then there's like, well, then it's like, you know, lock that in day after day after day after day not get sucked into the old one and not get sucked into the allure of results, which is again, kind of one of the foundational things that will pull you back into narratives that don't serve you. So yeah, I'm not sure that answered your question, but that's kind of the way I'd, I'd frame, you know, the ease of use of it. So, <laughs> and, and I'm kind of going to go into what you talked about at the end there, which was this idea of external or um, 
results orientated mindset how do you shift an athlete because i agree that we need to 100 percent focus on things within our control focus on things internally validation but how do you shift an athlete's mindset from extrinsic validation to intrinsic validation when obviously the goal of the match or game is to win how do you frame that yeah there's a couple ways i like to do it first i'll look at the be do have model from john Martini likes to use and um most of our society is have oriented, right? They're, they're very much focused on what they want to achieve, um, the goals, the attentions, and therefore they'll focus on what they do in order to achieve it. And then lastly, they're like, okay, well, who do I want to be? How do I want to show up so that I do these things well? And what mindset do I want to have so that I can do these things well so that I get the results? So they're have oriented, achieve results um, oriented, or what I call results first mindset. Their priority is the results. And that is so backwards. The reality is you want to look at it from a be and mindset first approach, which is like the title of my book and stuff. And and from a fundamental way, is like you frame it like that, the be do have model. Well, I'm going to focus on like, well, who do I want to be today? How do I want to show up on the field of play? And let's focus and prioritize that. Then from there, that's going to flow to the how do, what do I actually do and how do I play and the, the actions and the execution. And then it leads to the results. And, and so the problem, there's a couple of big problems, one of which is they're like, okay, well, I want to have a mindset first approach and focus on who I'm being so that I get results. Well, then what's your priority again? Results. So there's a trap there. And one of the issues around that is it's so common for people to say, well, focus on your mindset so that you get results. Focus on who you're being so that you can achieve more things. And focus on the process and what you can control it helps you get results. Yes, it's true. It does help you get results, but that shouldn't be the reason why. The order of your priorities matters. And so learning to prioritize it for the sake of itself, your mindset, who you're being for the experience, like um, when you were a kid and you fell in love with your sport, like that's what it's about. And it's like, you only have one life. How do you want to experience it? You can't always win. It is the goal in the intent. It's not to lose the goals and the intents of the outcomes. It's to prioritize the mental game, the mindset, the being uh, as the priority itself. And a, a really deeper way to further unpack that is the enjoyment uh, of the game and the experience and of life. Uh, it's not about trying to be happy and it's not about winning and results, although it can be fun to win and get results. But the enjoyment is in the journey. And particularly, um, it's about the meaningful intrinsic drivers. And a way to think of this is to separate your why from the goals and the intent. Whereas a lot of times as athletes rise the ranks, why they play their game is in their sport is to achieve the goals. False. That shouldn't be the why. And there's you can still have the goals and you can be driven by the goals. And a little external motivation isn't always inherently a bad thing. But... If your whole why is just, well, I just want the fame and the claim and the, the status and the achievements and the results, then you will lose sight of who you're being and you will lose sight of the enjoyment of the experience and, um, and you've lost sight of the true why, which therefore is actually going to hurt you get the results anyways, and you're not going to enjoy who you're being along the way. So one of the analogies we'll use to, um, and stories is a variation of Martini's story, is the flower bed, which these bunch of young 12-year-olds playing tag, American football, um, and this old lady's backyards. And they use her flower beds at either end of the backyard as the touchdown zone. 
And so they love playing there because <laughs> they throw the football and land in the soft flower beds. The old lady doesn't like it. She's like, you're ruining my flowers. She's yelling at them. They're like, screw you. They keep coming back. <laughs> She's like, I'm going to call the cops. She's like, nah, they're 12. So she gets sneaky and she decides to start paying them to play. They all get five bucks. So this is sick. No, we get to play this game we love, but now we're getting paid five bucks. And that goes on for a few weeks. And then she pays them less. It's a dollar and then 50 cents and then a quarter. And eventually the kids are like, screw this. We're not getting paid enough. We're not playing anymore. They forgot why they were playing in the first place. And that's the same for anyone in any area of life, um, staying connected to the intrinsic drivers, to the experience, to the connection, the service, the contribution, the challenge, the growth, and the who you're being while you're doing what you're doing and achieving the things is, is the priority. And so, and that was what it was for me. I got consumed with the, you know, the shiny objects, the external thing that became my why and I became results first. And I was trying to focus on my mindset to get results, not the solution. We want to learn to become mindset first for the sake of itself. Um, Using some of those strategies, using some of the other principles, one of the big challenges, and I won't go into it too much right now, but just to kind of like highlight um, when they're results first and making that shift from results first to being mindset first is while there's the weight of the results and the frustration and the stress. There's the variability and that hurts the confidence and the emotional roller coasters and the highs and the lows. And so we want to have understand, want to be mindset first for the sake of yourself and learn how to beat and overcome these different challenges like using the acceptance commitment, using a reset routine or an alter ego to break through the weight and the variability. And so we're kind of immune to the highs and the lows and stay laser focused and even keel. We want to be able to learn to understand enjoyment, create our own personal scorecard so that we can beat the stress and the frustration of that results first orientation. And so when we do these things, we create like this barrier in this wall and we can truly stay in a mindset first oriented way because it's not easy because you're just going to get sucked in and those challenges and the weight and the stress and the variability pull people and athletes back in to that results first approach which doesn't serve you and one from a result standpoint which is the funny paradox and two it makes it less fun and sports meant to be fun or whatever you're doing in life and so and not fun all the time but meaningful is probably a better word and uh and then maybe the last thing I'll say around it, that's when someone really does this and they can truly do it day in, day out. That's what, again, I was alluding to at the beginning, the realm of the Super League, which is kind of cheesy, but it's also true. And that's what the best people at any area of life, that's what they're so committed to who they're being, to their process, to the pursuit in and of itself. But I do think that in if you were to, for example, maybe go on YouTube and type in like motivational video or if you like went to a coach and taught like motivational speech, the first thing that they would say would probably be about like winning at all costs or like mm. winning mm-hmm. or like succeeding. Right. And what you're saying is essentially the opposite that we start with our intrinsic yeah. and our why and our, and our joy and our happiness. And then that then leads us to then transition into results afterwards. Is that kind 100%. of what you're hundred percent. I'm glad you brought that up because it's the first principle to help you beat the results first, the weight of results, et cetera, is the idea of acceptance which I haven't talked too much about yet. And the premise there is like, what is our society teaching us not to accept? Not to accept failure, adversity, not to accept you know mediocrity. And I'm not saying we just accept and we don't care about things. It's but it's learning to accept and see things for what they are. 
And so acceptance is actually a superpower. It's not about becoming like a hippie and just not caring. You can still really care. You can have goals and intents and care, but just learning to accept and let it go. So it doesn't weigh on you. And again, it's, it's people often get it, but it's the difference between common practice or common, common sense and common practice. This for most people is not common practice because the undertone and the way people talk is that's unacceptable. That can't happen. We need to win. We have to. You should do this. It is projecting all this expectations and weights around the external stuff and the shiny objects, which therefore weigh on athletes and they don't play free and clear mind and dialed in and they get consumed by it. And so the acceptance commitment one-two punch is just such an effective way to let go and then attack and play your game and commit to what you want to do and own your capabilities. And the better you can get at acceptance, actually the better you'll get at commitment and vice versa. If you can get really good at commitment, it's actually going to help you uh, accept as well. It's not either or. It's not like, well, I need more commitment. I need less acceptance. You always need both. I'm I'm using the word need myself. But it's always going to serve you best to use both very well. And so... Um, in any area. So that's kind of the way I would look at it. And yeah, it's, it's like I said, our society generally got it backwards. They're have oriented results oriented and, and consumed by that. And that's actually doing a disservice and learning like the principles and the concepts of acceptance, commitment, centeredness and enjoyment uh, and other pieces, but those are the four main ones, help them overcome that limiting beliefs that the weight, the variability, et cetera. So yeah, great question. Glad you brought that up. Why do you think it's so hard to have acceptance? Like, why do you think it's hard for an athlete to have the acceptance of, like you said, why do you think that is such a challenging thing for us to do in society? Well, people misconstrue it in the language. Um, and we're literally saying often like that's unacceptable. It doesn't mean you tolerate these things. Okay. It happened. We can learn from mistakes, et cetera. But the other main reason, the real foundation, like the idea and the concept and principle of acceptance simply means to um, see things for what they are. And the, it seems like it's a willingness problem and I'll often even call it a willingness problem, but it's actually not a willingness problem. It's like, Hey, uh, I'm not willing to accept failure here. I can I, uh, I'm not willing to accept that. So it seems like willingness. Well, actually, it's more of a perspective problem because when you have the perspective and we understand that like, well, the reality is you could lose. So and, you know, the best players in the world don't always win. And that, that's the we change the narrative and the perspective. It's like, OK, well, now I'm more willing to accept and the acceptance will come more naturally. A couple of good really examples I'll share extreme. Well, I'll give three, maybe even one is the samurai I like to use where they um, really well prepared before they went to war. These great fearless warriors. Um, but they did something before they went to war. That was they accepted that they might die. They weren't, oh, not fighting, going, oh, I'm afraid to die. <laughs> I'm not going to go well out there on the, on the battlefield. And so if they didn't want to die, don't go to war, run away. And so it's like when you have the perspective, like, hey, well, I'm going to war. I might not come home. Well, therefore, like, I, it's not that they're not afraid to die. That's like nobody wants to, but they learn to embrace it and accept it. Uh, I did this with a surgeon and it was really different than the average athlete around like sports, whereas, like, you know, he was doing difficult surgeries and sometimes they don't go his way as patients. Like, I don't want you to be indifferent to your patients. But the reality is, is accepting the burden of, you know, doing these types of surgeries that don't always work out. And if you can't do like, maybe you shouldn't be a surgeon. 
and it's not trying to be indifferent and like, but it's just seeing it for what it is. And it's like, oh, no one ever said that to me before was his response. It's like that helped in decrease his heart rate during surgeries, et cetera, be more present. And he was already doing well as a head surgeon at his hospital. But the uh, just a good example of applying this in any area of your life. And the common one, like a hockey player or a golfer or whatever, is like, okay, well, I need to, I have to. Well, if you really can't accept not scoring the next game, maybe you should quit. Because if you like, <laughs> maybe sport's not for you. It's like, oh, shit. It's like, oh, yeah, I, I guess it's a choice to go and play. Like, is remembering that and that perspective. Now you're more willing to accept it. And so, um, yeah, I think that, it, yeah, it's so difficult. But the language starts and then just getting, and that's why, again, someone out of an outsider and giving concepts and strategies and ways to think differently to get help you better at accepting so you can better commit and play your game and be in the moment. So great question. And I, lo- I really love the analogies that you use and, and the language that you use as well. It's kind of really helping me to kind of form those connections in my own mind as well. So, so thanks, thanks for that. So how does this idea of focusing more on the intrinsic, focusing more on kind of the being part, how does that link to like the study of like flow states and how athletes kind of have flow experiences or peak performances? Is that something you talk about with your clients as well or not something that you dive into? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the flow state, the zone, they're pretty like interchangeable words. Yep. And I think mm-hmm. the way, um, a simple way to understand flow in the zone, it's finding the the balance of um, like, well, one, a good way to frame it is like, who are you being? You're just completely in the moment. You're being um, present and in the moment is what it, it's all about. And then, and really the optimal state of zone and flow comes when the challenge and capabilities um, have a good match. So, but obviously there's going to be times in your sport where challenge is a little bit high (laughs) or sometimes it's actually a little bit low and it's like, that's kind of boring. And what we like to talk about is you can expand your ability to get into the zone and be in the flow state by mentally preparing for increased challenges or decrease, you know, challenges in situations. And so you're mentally rehearsing or coping planning, planning how you're going to cope with stressors or distractions and pressure or adversity, et cetera. And by rehearsing that, now you're more likely to still get into that flow state, trust yourself, be clear on who you're being and how you want to show up in those moments. So that's kind of a, a short form of it. Obviously, every time you um, mentally prepare, every time we have conversations like this, we work with an athlete, we get them to do their imagery or their personal scorecard or an alter ego, we're thinking more so that we can think less. Is a nice frame that you know my one of my coaches Nicholas uh, likes to use is like we want to think more before so we can think less during and the these strategies and the ways of thinking are allowing us to let ourselves get into the zone. You can't force yourself, but we have a reset routine that helps activate it, clear the mind, and use the acceptance, commitment, and the breathing. But the premise is more about um, mentally preparing. And reflecting afterwards so that we're not optimizing our ability to do it it's not about becoming perfect oh yeah it's perfectly in the zone like now you're coming a perfect mental game trap (laughs) cause all kinds of other perfectionistic problems um but it's doing your best and you know mentally preparing doing as much as you can within your control to optimize your ability to be in the zone to be in that flow state and so those are some of the ways we would talk about it or look at it there's the arousal level part to as well which ties back to acceptance commitment I'll even like to um, 
instead of teaching arousal level as like more of a continuum, which it is in a way, is more thinking about it, you know, the optimal arousal level that you want to be, you know, the physical, psychological is where you're in this sweet spot of relaxed yet focused. And so the way to get there is optimally be accepted, which gives you relaxed and committed, which gives you focused and engaged. And so whereas sometimes people are like, okay, well, if I'm too relaxed, that means I need to have less acceptance and more commitment. Now you get what? Tension. <laughs> like, and, and you're not going to be in the sweet spot or vice versa. Okay, well, I need to relax. They stop committing. And that was just kind of like a decrease my commitment, just increase my acceptance. And now you get too disengaged and you're relaxed, but you're not engaged enough. And so it's the sweet spot is actually I'm using, if you can, I don't know if the listeners probably see, but I'm using like a two by two grid of like high acceptance, high commitment is is this where the sweet spot is. That's where the flow is, et cetera. And so again, creating alter egos, different strategies, mental prepping to optimize your ability to be in the state of who do you want to be in those key moments of impact is the way that I like to explain the flow of the zone. I kind of went about that in a bunch of different ways, but uh, <laughs> so. Um, no, that's, that's great. Um, yeah, I think obviously when you're thinking about things and what I really like about the way that you talk about it is sometimes when you're trying to explain and I'll, I'll sometimes be trying to explain this with the students that I teach about like like optimal, like inverted youth theory of arousal. But mm-hmm. what I really like there is that you're actually giving practical linkage to that theory, right? So it's not just giving the theory, mm-hmm. which is yeah. which is useful to a certain extent, but obviously mm-hmm. what can you then do with that theory? But I love the fact that you've actually got practical things that they can do to mm-hmm. be tied in with the theoretical aspects, if that makes sense. Oh, 100%. And the the inverted, uh, like, you know, it was only, you know, pretty recently we less, I mean, we still talk about and use the inverted U because for some athletes, like, yeah, no, I'm just too low and I got to dial it up. And sometimes I'm too dialed up and I got to dial it back a bit and use acceptance to dial me back, and use commitment to dial you up kind of idea. <clears throat> but then I have some athletes where they're dialed down and they're like, okay, increase commitment, but also decrease acceptance. And they go, they'll never hit the sweet spot because they're always oscillating back and forth. I was like, okay, I need a new diagram to explain this. <laughs> and um, it's be a more applied version. So, um, and so we actually kind of had that athlete. I had, there was a pro tennis guy. I was like, no, you're going to stop using the, the turn up, turn down. And you're just using the one, two punch. And these things are always together. Acceptance, commitment. It's about... You know, certain moments you want to lean a bit more on one, but you're always, you never lean on one without the other. Because if you do, you're going to like, then the other one's going to drop. So they're the one, two punch and you always sew them together. So yeah, no. Um, awesome. I know you've written a book, um, which mm-hmm. I'm actually really excited to read. Could you just kind of share a little bit about what your book is about? And obviously it's not out yet, but where can our listeners find it when it is out? Yeah, so um, for sure. So the book will come out in the fall here, maybe November, give or take. Um, and it's going to be called Mindset First. And the subtitle is not set, but it's something along the lines of um, break free from the weight of results, play with confidence. <laughs> I'll use that in quotes after now people have <laughs> heard me talk about it, but we use that because it helps identify with people um, the intent of the book. And then so that they can perform when it matters most. And the premise uh, around the book, a lot of it we've already covered and some of the ideas in it and the principles, but it's just trying to bring a way to help athletes think differently. It's definitely going to be written with more of a hockey thing because my background in hockey, we work with a lot of hockey players, but I've got pro golfers, tennis, you know, like all kinds of different sports, other areas. And so there'll be other versions of the book will come out. Um, but the way to kind of also think about the book is like, okay, 
let's think differently about the mental game. A lot of like what I'm about, I want people to really understand practical personalized strategies of work. It's not meant to be like a textbook. That's for sure. <laughs> it should be easy to digest where we hitting the big things first, you know, how to break free from the results trap, how to think differently, uh, how to really make that shift and then how to um, accept and let go and build a reset routine and deal with the noise as well as like, you know, break through. Like we talked about conference day, but it's a whole, you know, chapter on that, breaking it down, giving the strategies and the concepts. So very easy to follow along effective book on some of the biggest things that we see. We see we've worked with tens of thousands of athletes at our, at CP mindset, our firm. And, uh, so we've got, we kind of know what the most common things are that come up and, uh, we just packaged it all. It's, something I've wanted to do for a long time. And uh, so I was like, all right, no, I think now's the time. Let's pull together. Let's not try to make a, it's not meant to be like a, a textbook or by any means, it's just a micro book. It's supposed to be pretty short. It's not finalized yet, but you know, maybe a hundred pages, maybe 120, maybe less. Like I'm trying to make it as short to the point as possible, but yet still helpful. So yeah. And it's about mindset first, which is, as you've heard me talk about, to me, that's the foundational thing. If an athlete can get that, everything else is going to flow from there. But the problem is they get results first. And so we want to learn to make that shift from results first to mindset first. And so the book helps reinforce that and all the principles and the strategies that help overcome all those uh, barriers and challenges that lead people and suck them into the results first, which is the foundational problem <laughs> of anyone that's struggling with their mental game. And uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's the book. Amazing. And yeah, if you want this out, if you send us a link, we can, we can share it with the audience as well. If they want to find me on the, you can join our email list at cpmindset.com. We've got all kinds of resources and blogs already out there. We've got free trainings, workshops, uh, you know, recordings, assessments, that kind of stuff that they can check out. And then, you know, we'll definitely announce it. It'll be on Amazon, that kind of thing. Um, once it's live in, in November. So stay tuned. And yeah, if you could send it out once, uh, once it's finalized, I'll send you a copy for sure. So. Course, amazing. So, just last couple of questions um, on the podcast, and we'll obviously we'll link to everything in the show notes as well afterwards, so so we can check that out. But one thing that I ask all my guests, and I'm really fascinated to hear your answer, is um, what is your definition of an optimal mindset? Yeah, I think um, the definition of an optimal mindset is going to be personalized for each person. So it's like the way that I would frame it is like an optimal mindset is you've got a system and a way. For you to show up in the way that you want, who do you want to be in those moments? Like an optimal mindset for, you know, Johnny versus Steve versus Chris versus Jen, like it's all going to look a little bit different. And, but the premises, but they're, um, they have in my mind optimized their mindset. If they're feeling like they're doing their best, just show up as who they want to be in those key moments. Like that's, and like, and then what it looks like today, it will look like, and so I have some athletes, they're dialed in day out. It will look different in three months from now, let alone a year from now. They're constantly evolving the, the landscape, the, the context, the challenges, the scenarios are changing. So then they need to continually evolve and be clear on who they want to be. Some people will iterate more. Some people is just minor things and they've got a pretty solid one and then they're just tweaking and adding and, you know, mentally preparing for what new challenges or obstacles might take them off and, but yeah, to me, it's having the clarity and it's a personalized way. Like, who do I want to be? How do I want to show up in that moment? And they now, and then they've got the routines to make sure they're doing that and not getting sucked in. So 
that wasn't maybe the most straight answer, but I think I, I, I painted a picture at least. So. Yeah, I love, I love it. That's an incredible answer. Um, do you have any, maybe a couple of books that you could suggest for our audience that someone who is looking to dive deeper into the area of mental game or sports psychology or just kind of personal growth? Any of your, any favorite books jump out? Yeah, I've got tons. Um, obviously, check out our book, my book, uh, Mindset yep, First, when it comes definitely. out, because that'll be a, a solid one. But in the meantime, uh, there's The Alter Ego Effect by Todd Herman, is obviously um, you know highly into getting to understanding the narrative and that strategy. There's The Inner Game of Tennis. Timothy Galloway is like, a, like I forget when it was written, I think the 80s, and it's still like... And it's, it says tennis, just like my book might say and have a lot to do with hockey, but it applies to everything. And like, it's probably read by more athletes that aren't tennis players than tennis players. So it's got some good foundational things. Um, just look at my list over here. There's, I've, I could probably list uh, 10 other ones, but those would be the top two. Other things like growth mindset, um, with like Carol Dweck. There's all kinds of other good sports-like books. But um, yeah, those would be a couple of the top ones to look at. Uh, epic and yeah i can't wait to check out your book when it's released so, yeah, i'm looking forward to, to reading it so last question and i know you've kind of given many practical things that our listeners can do throughout this this interview which has been really helpful but if you can maybe give three quick actionable steps people could do to develop a more optimal mindset what would be your three tips so i would um it's a kind of central good question um so go to my website <laughs> to watch the workshop and do the exercises. <laughs> um, if for like, if I want to go over the most simple, so like we do a reset routine, the alter ego scorecard would be like the top three strategies. Um, but I can't quickly explain that all of them. We've kind of talked about the alter ego. I haven't really talked about a reset routine, but which is acceptance commitment. I would go a really simple thing. Anyone can start doing is get a notebook find somewhere to start writing, reflect, what was my priority today? Was I being mindset first? So I make that the number one question. Um, or was I, you know, consumed and my priority was actually trying to achieve the results. And you can even reflect on that by percentage. And it's, that doesn't change what happened that day, but now it makes you more aware and more likely to become inconsistently like, who do I want to be today? And keep having that question coming up. And so that's an easy number one question. The number two question is write down five things you did well. Because that counterbalances the constant beat yourself up, over-focus on what we got to do better, and make sure you're owning your wins each day. Simple little thing to add into that reflection. And then the third one would be, you know, pick whatever you took out of this episode and reflect on like how well was I doing the acceptance commitment? Or if we had an alter ego, you would you would dive into that. How would I show the black mamba mentality or or specific trait in those key moments of impact or whatever? You know, the killer instinct or staying centered or bouncing back from adversity or being a momentum builder, owning my capabilities. So you could pick a more uh, personalized one. So that's the kind of an idea of like what we do with a scorecard. So that's probably like the easiest thing that I could explain in a short amount of time um, uh, outside of like, go check out the website and you can get a bunch of free stuff on there. So, um, and they can learn some more. So yeah, no, that, uh, I think that answers it. Yeah, perfect. And just to, to recap, where can the audience, if they want to check out your website or read, read more about you, where could they find you? Yeah, cepmindset.com. And uh, yeah, we're a performance coaching firm. You know, we've got coaches all over the world. And uh, if they're interested in one-on-one -on -one coaching, which is obviously a great way to get the ball rolling quickly and effectively. And uh, you can, there's a book now button. You talk to our min team, all that kind of stuff. And we set you up with the, the coach that's the best fit. 
And yeah, cpmindset.com. We're also on Instagram. My Twitter's at Cassie Preston. So there's some other ways to find us. But uh, um, yeah, if you follow us, get on our newsletter. We you know, send usually out one, one tip a week, um, different blog post video that we've done or doing. So I'll try to keep things uh, on people's radar. So. Oh, that's so cool. And I think, firstly, just a huge thank you for giving up your time for being on the show. I think my favorite thing about you is you're taking some quite complex principles in sports psychology and you're kind of breaking them down into actionable and understandable pieces, which is which is a really hard thing to do. And it's something that I've definitely taken away from this interview. So just thanks for being such an incredible guest. And I feel like we've just scratched the surface. I really would like to have you back and, and we could dive back in. But yeah, thanks for, for joining us. It's been amazing. Of course. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great questions. And uh uh, love the podcast, love the work. So it's it's great to be able to share. And yeah, the mental game is definitely not can can be very complex and not tangible. And it's you know enjoyable for me to try and bring you know that and to make it more tangible, make it easy and digestible, so people can personalize and and get the effect. Because I, I know the pain when it's not going well and you don't know what to do. It's you know there there is a different way. And uh, and so that's uh, it's great to be able to share that. So thanks for having me. Magic. All right. This has been the Optimal Mindset. We really do appreciate you listening in. Thanks for being here and we hope to see you again real soon. Take care, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into the Optimal Mindset podcast today. We are available on SoundCloud and on Spotify. I've included all my information in the show notes for those who wish to find out more about our, our guests and upcoming episodes. Remember, Train your mind, optimize your life.